Hey, Kaylee. Hey, Tom. I cannot believe that we are already at part three of A Christmas Carol. I know. The season is just going by so fast. But doesn't uh, the holiday season always go by like, zoom, right after Halloween? Yep. And it's just like, wham, we go right on into it is what we do. Yep. And suddenly so, it's a new year. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Can't wait. Um. So uh, we have some wonderful people joining us. We have a couple new faces or new voices, I should say, new voices out there uh, joining us this time. Can you tell us who's coming? So we have some new voices and some returning. Our new voices include Eugene Driscoll from Valley Independent Sentinel. He'll be our ghost of Christmas present. Awesome. We have Nicole McCoola from Bring the Hoopla and Celebrate Shelton as our Mrs. Cratchit. Hmm. Her daughter, Magnolia, is our Tiny Tim. I have to say that the Vakula family, there is just talent that runs across that entire family between her husband, who's what they've pocket gnomes, and, you know, everything that Nicole does in the Valley with, you know, Celebrate Sheltered, and also her own business, Bring the Hoopla, just is amazing. We also have Emily Carveth from Our Board, Valley Shakespeare Festival. She's playing Scrooge's niece. Oh. And then returning with us, Tom Simonetti as our Scrooge and narrator. Thank you. We have David Kennedy from Valley United Way coming back as our Fred. Ooh. And we also have Jim Calkins from Seasonal Catering and Masara Community Farm as Bob Cratchit. Oh, that's so cool. Masara Community Farm is where we went to, for those of you who are listening, we went to go do uh, Snow White there uh, in October, uh, two-person Snow White. That was a ton of fun. Um, I think uh, Jim also mentioned that we have, uh, their CSAs are open. And mm -hmm. what else was that, Kaylee, too? Yes, Jim was talking about that. He is very involved with the board for Masara Community Farm, and they are opening up an online way of purchasing um, products from the farm, including their CSA. Oh, that's so cool. Nice. So um, before we get started, let me just remind our listeners um, of what was happening beforehand. So you might remember in part two, uh, we were, uh, uh, that Scrooge was visited by the ghost of Christmas past. So we got to see a lot of what has kind of made Scrooge who he is today, I always say. So we got to see him as a little boy when he was sent off to boarding school. He had an alcoholic father who didn't really want him around. Then you get to see him, uh, of course, in more in much happier times, I think, when he was an apprentice to uh, Mr. Fezziwig. And I think he really learned a lot there, or almost learned a lot there, um, about you know being a great boss. How do you be a really good leader? Uh, Fezziwig uh, is so wonderful in providing a party and providing happiness for all of his employees and making sure that a happy employee will equal, of course, great work, which we all should know, I think, as well. Um, and that was played by Bill Purcell. Another thing, too, is I always say I love the Fezziwigs because Mr. and Mrs. Fezziwig, they do say the part where it says that they went to went around or said goodbye to each and every single person who worked for them. They shook hands with them. They said Merry Christmas to them. Happy holidays to them. I think that's so beautiful. And they did it to the apprentices, too. They didn't just treat them as, oh, you just clean up and we're leaving. Bye. They also said, you know, Merry Christmas and thank you for your work and your dedication. So I think that's really great. Then, of course, there's that wonderful scene that I did with Erin, um, where she played Belle, uh, who was supposed to be um, his wife. 
uh, who he was engaged to, the woman that he loved, and how she just realizes that he's all about gain and gold and, you know, the money aspect of anything. And he just really isn't able to provide to her, um, you know, the, the, the relationship that she needs. So it's a painful, painful scene. Uh, and we start off with um, Scrooge just having finished that painful scene. The ghost of Christmas past has left, and now we are going into the ghost of Christmas present. Are we ready, Kaylee? We're ready. Roll it. Scrooge awoke in his bedroom. There was no doubt about that. But it and his own adjoining sitting room, into which he shuffled in his slippers, attracted by a great light there, had undergone a surprising transformation. The walls and ceiling were so hung with living green that it looked a perfect grove. The crisp leaves of holly, mistletoe, and ivy reflected back the light, and such a mighty blaze went roaring up the chimney. Heaped upon the floor to form a kind of throne were turkeys, geese, game, poultry, brawn, great joints of meat, suckling pigs, long wreaths of sausages, mince pies, plum puddings, barrels of oysters, red-hot chestnuts, cherry-cheeked apples, juicy oranges, luscious pears, immense twelfth cakes, and seething bowls of punch. In easy state upon his couch there sat a jolly giant, glorious to see, who bore a glow glowing torch and held it up high up to shed its light on Scrooge as he came peeping round the corner. Come in! Come in and know me better, man! I am the ghost of Christmas present. Look upon me! Have you never seen the likes of me before? Never. Have never walked forth with the younger members of my family? meeting my elder brothers born in these late years? I don't think I have. I'm afraid I have not. Have you many brothers, Spirit? More than 1,800. A tremendous family to provide for. Spirit, conduct me where you will. If you have aught to teach me, let me profit by it. Touch my robe. Scrooge did as he was told and held it fast. The room and its contents all vanished instantly, and they stood in the city streets upon a snowy Christmas morning. Scrooge and the ghost passed on, invisible, straight to Scrooge's clerks. On the threshold of the door, the spirit smiled and stopped to bless Bob Cratchit's dwelling with the sprinklings of his torch. Then up rose Mrs. Cratchit, Cratchit's wife, dressed out but poorly in a twice-turned gown, but brave in ribbons, which are cheap and made a goodly show for sixpence. And then she laid the cloth, assisted by Belinda Cratchit, second of her daughters, while Master Peter Cratchit plunged a fork into the saucepan of potatoes. And now two smaller Cratchits, boy and girl, came tearing in, screaming that outside the baker's they had smelled the goose and known it for their own. Oh, whatever has gotten your precious father then? And your brother, Tiny Tim. There's father coming, cried the two young Cratchits, who were everywhere at once. In came Bob the father, his threadbare clothes darned up and brushed to look seasonable, and Tiny Tim upon his shoulder. Alas for Tiny Tim. He bore a little crutch and his limbs supported by an iron frame. The two young Cratchits hustled Tiny Tim and bore him off to the wash house, that he might hear the pudding singing in the copper. And how did little Tim behave? As good as gold, and better. 
Somehow he gets thoughtful sitting by himself so much and thinks the strangest things you'd ever heard. He told me coming home that he'd hope people saw him in the church because he was a cripple and it might be pleasant for them to remember on Christmas day who made lame beggars walk and blind men see. Tiny Tim is growing strong and hearty. His active little crutch was heard upon the floor and back came Tiny Tim before another word was spoken, escorted by his brother and sister to his stool beside the fire. While Bob compounded some hot mixture in a jug with gin and lemons and stirred it round and round and put it on the hob to beat simmer. Master Peter and the two young Cratchits went to fetch the goose, with which they soon returned in high procession. Never was such a goose, Bob said. I don't believe there ever was such a goose cooked. Its tenderness and flavor, size, and cheapness were the themes of universal admiration. Ecked out with by applesauce and mashed potatoes, it was a sufficient dinner for the whole family. But now, the plates being changed, Mrs. Cratchit left the room alone, too nervous to bear witness to take the pudding up and bring it in. Suppose it should not be done enough. Uh, suppose someone should break in, turning out. Suppose somebody should have got over the wall of the backyard while they were merry with the goose. All sorts of horrors were supposed. Hollow! A, a great steam! A, a, the pudding was out of the copper. Oh, a wonderful pudding. Bob Cratchit said, and calmly too, that he regarded it as the greatest success achieved by Mrs. Cratchit since their marriage. At last the dinner was all done, the cloth was cleared, the hearth swept, and the fire made up. The compound in the jug being tasted and considered perfect. Apples and oranges were put upon the table and a shovel full of chestnuts on the fire. Then the Cratchit family drew around the hearth while chestnuts on the fire sputtered and crackled noisily. Then Bob proposed. A Merry Christmas to us all, my dears. God bless us. God bless us, everyone, said Tiny Tim. He sat very close to his father's side upon his little stool. Bob held his withered little hand in his, as if he loved the child and wished to keep him by his side, and dreaded that he might be taken from him. Spirit, tell me if Tiny Tim will live. I see a vacant seat in the poor chimney corner, and a crutch without an owner, carefully preserved. No, no, oh no, kind spirit, say he will be spared. If these shadows remain unaltered by the future, none of my race will find him here. What then? If he be like to die, he had better do it and decrease the surplus population. Scrooge hung his head to hear his words quoted by the spirit, but raised it speedily on hearing his own name. Mr. Scrooge, said Bob, I'll give you Mr. Scrooge, the founder of the feast. <laughs> the founder of the feast, indeed. I wish I had him here. I'd give him a piece of my mind to feast upon, and I'd hope he'd have a good appetite for it. My dear, the children, Christmas Day. It should be Christmas Day. I am sure on which one drinks the health of such an odious, stingy, hard, unfeeling man as Mr. Scrooge. You know he is, Robert. Nobody knows it better than you, poor fellow. My dear, Christmas Day. I'll drink his health for your sake. And the days. Not for his. Long life to him. 
a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. He will be very merry and very happy. They were not a handsome family. They were not well-dressed. Their shoes were far from being waterproof. Their clothes were scanty, but they were happy and grateful, pleased with another and contented with the time. And when they faded and looked happier yet in the bright sprinklings of the spirit's torch at parting, Scrooge had his eyes upon them, and especially on Tiny Tim until the last. It was a great surprise to Scrooge when the scene vanished to hear a hearty laugh. <laughs> it was a much greater surprise to Scrooge to recognize it as his own nephew's and to find himself at a bright, dry, gleaming room with the spirit standing smiling by his side and looking at the same nephew. He said that Christmas was a humbug as I live and he believed it too. More shame for him, Fred said Scrooge's niece. He's a comical old fellow, that's the truth. Not so pleasant as he might be. However, his offenses carry their own punishment, and I have nothing to say against him. Who suffers by his ill whims? Himself, always. Here, he takes it in his head to dislike us, and he won't come to dinner with us. What's the consequence? He doesn't lose much of a dinner. Indeed, I think he loses a very good dinner. <laughs> Everybody else said the same, because they had just had dinner. After tea, they had some music, for they were a musical family and knew what they were about singing a glee or a catch. But they didn't devote the whole evening to music. After a while, they played at forfeits and blind man's bluff, for it is good to be children sometimes, and never better than at Christmas, when its mighty founder was a child himself. Oh, here's a new game, spirit said Scrooge, only a half hour more. It was a game called Yes and No, where Scrooge's nephew had to think of something and the rest to find out, he only answering to their questions, yes or no, as the case was. The brisk fire of questioning to which he was exposed elicited from him that he was thinking of an animal, a live animal, a rather disagreeable animal, a savage animal, an animal that growled and grunted sometimes and talked sometimes and lived in London and walked about the streets and wasn't made a show of and wasn't led by anybody. I have found it out. I know what it is, Fred. I know what it is. What is it? It's your uncle, Scrooge which it certainly was. Admiration was the universal sentiment, though some objected that the reply to, is it a bear, ought to have been yes. Uncle Scrooge, he's given us plenty of merriment, I'm sure. A Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year to the old man, wherever he is. He wouldn't take it from me, but may he have it nevertheless. Uncle Scrooge. Uncle Scrooge. Scrooge had become so gay and light of heart that he would have pledged the unconscious company in return and thanked them in an audible speech. But the whole scene passed off in a breath of the last words spoken by his nephew, and he and the spirit were again upon their travels. Much they saw, and far they went, and many homes they visited, but always with a happy end. Are spirits' lives so short? My life upon this globe is very brief. It ends tonight. Night? Forgive me if I am not justified in what I ask, 
but I see something strange and not belonging to yourself protruding from your skirts. Is it a foot or a claw? Look here. From the foldings of his robe, it brought two children, wretched, abject, frightful, hideous, miserable. They knelt down at its feet and clung upon the outside of the garment. They were a boy and girl, yellow, meager, ragged, scowling, wolfish, but prostrate too in their humility. Scrooge stared back, appalled. Spirit, are they yours? They are man's. The boy is ignorance. The girl is want. Beware them both in all of their degree. Have they no refuge or resource? Are there no prisons? Are there no workhouses? The bell struck twelve. listening to this episode. For show notes, a cast list, more information, and donation opportunities, visit vsfestival.org slash podcast. And make sure to join us next week as we continue Scrooge's journey in Charles Dickens' classic, A Christmas Carol.